It's simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Hey everyone, Mike here. Please be advised that this episode contains some explicit language. As always, grab a cup of tea and thank you for listening to the Tea with Mike show. Please welcome to today's episode of the Tea with Mike show, Matt Hoss, who is a stand-up comedian, broadcaster, podcaster, content maker, runs a chain of vegan comedy clubs, Viva Las Vegans, and is also an alumni of Richmond School North Yorkshire, which is also, funnily enough, where I happen to go to school. So I think we're going to have a good chin wag today. I'm sure there'll be a lot of British terminology, and I'm sure it's going to be a slice. So Matt, welcome to the Tea with Mike show. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, and what, what a lovely introduction as well. I'm going to use all the British terminology, like shiver my timbers. I, I don't know, that's pirate uh, rather than British, but you know, like wh- whatever. Do you know what I mean just anything like that? It's uh, it's uh, any any British terminology. We're going to just sneak it in uh, all the way through. But yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. It's been another busy day, but yeah, I'm feeling good. You know, like when in the introduction you're like oh why do I feel tired all the time <laughs> and then you read out everything I do it's like oh yeah that's, I'm just busy all the time because I uh, I have too much ambition I would say <laughs> no there's nothing wrong with too much ambition I think when someone else talks about some of the things that you do based off their research and watching a little bit on social media it's, it's almost like a moment of reflection because when you're in the like the, the day-to-day you're just going from one thing to another, whether whether you love that particular thing or you don't like that particular thing. And so sometimes it's really powerful and also cool to step back, reflect. These are all of the things that I've accomplished to this point. And sometimes it gives you a, a renewed sense of energy, right? Yeah. And I kind of feel you're absolutely right. I think it's important to have that reflection, but also like I feel like it's to do with normalization because I feel like a lot of people feel that they don't do anything. But if you're always working at 110%, then your normal is 110%, meaning like your baseline is 110%, meaning that if you're not going 110%, you're only going at 80%, which is still a lot. You're doing quite a lot. You feel guilty because you're not doing 30% as usual. But if you're always going at 110%, you're very close to burnout all the time. So it's important to like kind of actually be like, you know what, it's okay to have a bit of a chill day. It's okay to work at 50% in a day. That's fine. As long as you feel happy with that. And it's just about recognizing that because I feel that when new artists go out there, especially young artists, and I learned this myself, like I just wanted to work hard so much. And only later on in life did I learn how to work smart. And that is such a big difference. Because I, I heard that advice from a comedian called Patton Oswald, who's a very famous voice actor and a Senate comedian. And he said, you should work smart, not work hard. And I was like, what? But I always work hard. That work hard should get you all the way. But it does, but you feel knackered at the end of it. So finding those efficient ways to kind of get through stuff or learning, you don't have to do everything and learning to actually do some self-care actually ends up being a lot more beneficiary. It's about a marathon, not a sprint. And if you're always sprinting, <laughs> you're just going to drive yourself to the ground. Exactly, man. So it's all about that balance. So before we go any further, we'd be missing out if I didn't ask you to maybe share a few memories from your time at Richmond School. I know you love uh, drama. I know we met loosely, even though we probably don't remember that much at the time through drama and theater and mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And then obviously a big shout out to the 
I guess now the OG Richmond School Drama Department, the Liz Mussers, the Amy Southwoods, yeah. the, the Mr. Hendersons, and people before that, wasn't it like Mr. Kirkham and some, yeah. some other people? I, let, that I, I don't remember that well because that was before my time, but you'll remember. Yeah, well, Mr. Kirkham was definitely there when I started doing drama properly in year seven. And yeah, like it was really cool. Yeah, they are people who are still friends of mine today, um, Liz Moss and Ian Henderson. And uh, yeah, it's really, really cool. Like I see them in different aspects. I won't say too much more on that, but like they, uh, yeah, they're really wonderful people. And uh, what, what I love about that that school and that time, it's like, yeah, they, they were just people that I kind of needed around at that time. They were a great support network. They were people who were really just like interesting, artistic, and just very down to earth human beings. And I, I think school culture has definitely changed in the last 10 years because part of my day job, I'll keep it as elusive as possible, but I work for a charity and, and part of that charity, I go into schools to deliver workshops. And so I work quite closely within schools in a semi-teaching capacity as a well as an educator rather than a teacher if that makes sense so like um, a facilitator yeah so you see the school culture changing and like it's a lot more safeguarded which is fantastic but what I mean by that is that it's a very different time and I feel like there were teachers of a a bygone era where you could be a bit more like chilled out with the students and they could interact with us as human beings and it was was really nice it was nice to have that kind of genuine friendship and yeah it was just like I remember calling Liz Moss she was one of the first people I called after I got my A-level results. And yeah, it was just, it was just like, I that's just what I wanted to share with, with that person. Do you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I think that says a lot about that relationship. And it's crazy. Yeah, like you say, how much it's changed. And just even in the way that they, all the different opportunities that are available to current students versus like 10 years ago, because technology's advanced and the, the world's changed. And I feel like so much more talent is showcased these days than it was like 10 years ago or even when we were there. There's just different procedures mm-hmm. and systems in place. And I think that's a cool thing. Yeah, as well as information has been increased. Like there's a lot more mental health at school. Just a, a, I work in mental health. So uh, so I'm a mental, I work for a mental health charity. So like that knowledge is out there a lot more now. And schools advocate for that. So I think that's really, really cool. And but also on top of that, we also help like, yeah, as you mentioned, technology has progressed where people are more skilled faster and they are more creative or have more access to stuff. And I find that really liberating. And, yeah, it's a really powerful thing to have. You know, it's a grand stabilizer. Exactly. And so then did you spend your entire childhood growing up in Richmond and where are you currently based? Yeah, I, I grew up in, in Brompton, Swale, which is just outside Richmondshire. And for anyone who is listening internationally, it's in the northeast of England. Mike probably talked about it in the past. And Richmond School, I've been there pretty much my whole life. I left for university in 2012 to go to the University of Kent in Canterbury, where I did three years. I did drama and theatre studies, joint honours with classical and archaeological studies, which is the longest <laughs> title of a degree ever, and also very unemployable. But like, it, it, regardless <laughs> of that play a good game of anagram of that but like uh, with, on top of that on top of that in the master's degree also at university of kent so i got some a lot of roots in terms of my creativity down in canterbury in kent but after that because i couldn't afford to live down there i tried to be a stand-up comedian for a little while for a full-time comedian and now i'm kind of like a content creator twitch streamer podcaster comedian so I, it is part of that but i i went just pure comedy and it was at a time where i was still refining my process so um i moved back to the northeast of england around darlington these days so yeah again not too far away from richmond 
That's awesome. And then, so growing up, what were some of your favorite things to do as a child? Yeah, I think it might be terribly boring, but I love video games. Video games are my favorite and they're a passion. I, I just, I love staying indoors a lot. I love reading. I love watching movies. I wasn't an outdoorsy kid. Oh my God. Like sports, it's lame. Like, oh my God. Like, like <laughs> what, you want to run outside and get sweaty? No, I just want to sit indoors and watch Star Wars. That's much better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it's obviously the better option. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, no, but like, yeah, I, yeah, I was definitely more of an introvert as a kid. And it took me a while to kind of learn other stuff. But yeah, I, I loved, loved video games in particular. I was a bit of a geek back in the day. So I loved to learn as well. I know it sounds really lame, but like, I loved, the subject I talked about quite a lot so I didn't have tons of a social life you might tell me differently here but I think I was pretty well liked but not as I, I did feel like I didn't really have a specific group I feel like I was a bit of a well broadly liked but I didn't really feel like I fit in I was definitely a bit of an outsider in that time and I'm not sure if people would agree with that but I, def- I definitely still feel like an outsider do you know what I mean like again people still broadly like me but I feel that I never really had a place to kind of call my home socially or culturally culturally and yeah obviously I do have a home home but like you know do you know what I mean like I feel a bit like a a artistic nomad do you know what I mean and I felt a bit kind of like I kind of fit in that much and that's something I still kind of carry around today and I, can, I think it's the backbone of my creativity because I try to I think when I'm in a stand-up comedian I definitely play that outsider role because there's different roles you play in stand-up and being that outsider is kind of like, a, oh, like the audience is looking, oh, this guy is a bit strange and he's not one of us, do you know what I mean? And there's insiders as well who do that observational comedy, but like, look, I'm one of you guys, but I think quite clearly <laughs> I'm not one of you guys. But <laughs> within that, there's still relatable materials there, do you know what I mean? Like, because it's so ridiculous and outside it can be quite there's still connections there do you know what I mean so yeah I think it's about kind of just connecting to that outsiderism so yeah I felt like I was a bit of a nerd growing up because I liked quite a lot of like more niche things I suppose cool and what were some of your favorite subjects in school were you heavy on the books did you like the histories and stuff or were you more like science and math Oh, oh, I hate science and maths. I just could not get on with it. I, I don't, I, I like to waffle. Do you know what I mean? That's why, that's why I'm a good podcaster. Like, I, I just want to waffle and <laughs> like walk around and answer. I don't want, I want to like, I'm an English guy for sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, that sounded very like, uh, <laughs> don't, don't clip that out of context because that sounds like, uh, you know, a bit, bit of a red flag. But like, uh, I'm definitely more of a, a language student, you know, someone who like talks and uh, analyzes and poses thoughts and, and definitely, more of a waffler in that way and yeah loved classics as I mentioned I did classics and drama they were two of my favorite subjects I learned about ancient cultures ancient literature it's really really interesting to me what I love is a good story and I've always loved good stories and that's why I'm more of a storytelling stand-up comedian and at the heart of like classics oh my god that like all the ancient stories are so interesting and definitely weird and sometimes like absolutely perverse but it, they are very good stories and uh, I find that like immensely and intensely entertaining but yeah I, uh, I loved a lot of stuff to be fair I uh, definitely not a science and maths fan but I kind of like being good at a subject you know what I mean I, would, uh, I was definitely a bit of a swap nice and how do you sit with English language English literature Shakespeare poetry that type of thing yeah I, I think I, I definitely changed over the years and I like English literature 
I like doing it if it wasn't a grade, because I did English literature as an AS level because I didn't have many options to choose from, and I had to choose to do that. And I didn't do great at it, but what I do love now and I'm older is to analyse a book, look at its themes, and to think about it, but without writing it to paper or the pressure of it being a grade. And I, would, I probably could write... Yeah, right, because, like, it's so much pressure to put on someone to be like, right, learn all these quotes, get like, think about all these things. That's right. Yeah, I think the best thing to do in education is do something you're passionate about because otherwise you're going to do just hate what you're doing for like as long as you're doing that course. And it's never, never a good feeling. Yeah, you know I mean, so you have to kind of do stuff that you like. So, yeah, on top of that, I feel like uh, in terms of that English literature, though I studied some books I liked, I struggle to remember quotes because that's not, I don't like to remember quotes. I like to enjoy the story. I like to think about it in my own head, but to articulate that, it's very different. So I would say I enjoy it on my own terms, but it's just like Shakespeare and poetry. Again, it's a, I, I enjoy it, but I, I feel like it's not always my vibe, I would say. I would say I've definitely got more into poetry as I got older and definitely after breakups and stuff like that but if you're ever interested if anyone here is uh, looking for a, a good breakup uh, poetry book check out Sharon Olds I think it's called Stag's Leap and it's or oh, it's, it's it's heartbreaking but lovely it's about a poet talking about the end of a 40-year marriage and the days oh, yeah. coming after that it was a devastating read nice. so how did you first get involved in stand-up comedy and then what initially inspired you to pursue it as a career Good question. Yeah, so I would say that in the early days when I was at school, I was definitely, I, I, I would say in the northeast of England at the time, there wasn't buzz, lots of opportunities to do a lot of creative stuff. Agreed. So I didn't have, yeah, do you feel like that as well, Mike? Yeah, that's going back to my point about how I feel like 10 years forward with technology development and the emergence of social media and content creation and podcasting, that's more integrated a little bit into, into school these days. So there's just more authentic and organic performance opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, and there was just not those opportunities back in the day. And I, I really like, I don't know how to describe it, but like, it was like, I wanted to be something really bad. I wanted to not in terms of fame, but I got creative blood and I just wanted to get stuff out there and not having an outlet for it was, it's kind of like suffocating. Do you know what I mean? It's important to try and get out there. So for the longest time, I tried to be an actor, but I don't think I'm very good at that. I tried drama for a long time, but I'm okay as an actor, but not, not perfect. And what I struggle with, at, what I found out at uni is that, and I'll, I'll kind of link back to this afterwards, but I wasn't much... I am a team player, but I got sick of waiting on other people who weren't delivering. Do you know what I mean? So I was getting a bit fed up with drama groups who would turn up half an hour late or an hour late. and like, dude, oh, I've been here for half an hour. Yeah, it's, it's annoying, right? So though I work, I'm a good team player, but I was like, I'm kind of sick of working with groups here. And that's that's a theme that we'll come back to in a sec. And other than acting, I wanted to be a rock star. I've always wanted to be into like a rock or metal band. But I, if you're not, you can see, but you've got my BC Rich wall up behind me. So you can kind of yes, see I my can metal. See you, you're yeah, you're that's, that's super cool. So, thank you. I am, I am very cool. Thank you. So cool. I will take praise. Thank you. Thank you. I, I need that. Yeah, I wanted to be a rock star, but again, like I just couldn't find the people I wanted to, to hang out with. And also, I would think I would say it's fair that I wasn't the best at being musically talented. I've got a lot better in years, but like, yeah, I wasn't super disciplined. I tried to be a singer for a bit. I can't sing, Mike. Yeah, <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but I have confidence, though. I'm very good at karaoke. But yeah, the thing is that I 
I just I just couldn't make it work in that way. So I kind of felt this kind of creative spirit in me. And then I went to university in Canterbury and then there was a lot more opportunities at university. And in my first week there, I tried to do an introductory course, like welcome to the new students. I met a guy called Dr. Oliver Double. And he was a guy from Sheffield who would later become my, because I went on to do a master's in stand-up comedy and this guy was a tutor. And he was the first person to kind of be really nice to me there. I was quite alone and he was just super nice. And that was the start of a very, very nice friendship and relationship. It's really, it's kind, you know, like we still work together today. So he's really like kind and welcomed me in. And he mentioned, we actually, uh, you know, we're doing a, a master's in stand-up comedy course. And I was like, wait, what's that? Then my first first like week at Freshers Week, first year, I was like, wait, what's that? And these guys did stand-up comedy and they did a weekly show uh, Thursday. It's called Monkey Shine. And I was like, oh my God. And I went there every week. And then as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's what I want to do. That was like, you know, like you just have that moment where you're like, that is what I got to do. Like, uh, and it was just a very clear moment. And from that moment, I just had ultimate direction. I wanted to be a comedian. It's like, the thing is for me, I wasn't like ha-ha funny. It took me a while to translate weird to funny. I was definitely weird, but not necessarily funny. And it took me a long time to build that. But at the time, I was like, yeah, I, I could do that. So I thought, why don't I just go solo and just start doing it myself? So I just started performing stand-up. I did the masters in stand-up comedy and just started building a name for myself. I started running comedy clubs, as you mentioned, did lots of chains of uh, clubs around the UK and stuff like that. And it kind of grew from there. And it was just an ultimate desire to be a creative professional. But it was like my my love of life for a long time. And it kind of just grew from there, really. And it, and yeah, it kind of came an unstoppable force. And stand-up's really good because it kind of, it's a really good way to learn a lot about yourself. You gain a lot of confidence, you get very tough skin, and it's a good way to live your life. But I do wonder if I did it too early in life, because I would say there's some negative side effects of that, but broadly it's been positive. Also, and just drawing some similarities, like I also like you bounce between different groups of people. I always mm-hmm. wanted to be an, an actor initially. I mean, I could I could learn the script a little bit, like uh, with enough practice, you could learn some basic dance moves, but Never like you never had that singing voice to go for an average <laughs> like mid role to like a superstar. I didn't know it at the time, but if I look back on my school experience, I was just different. And social media and podcasting wasn't even a thing when I was in school, just like you. And I was always like middle of the road. I was never like a stand up person, but I always showed up every every single day. And it wasn't like you until kind of like after school, where through a lot of different experiences and stuff, I started discovering what I truly want to do and as much as I love theater the thing that got me hooked on theater and the the Georgian theater and all all the rest of it was the storytelling aspect and and the magic of going from nothing to putting on a piece of work for example and like inside a week Mm -hmm. and then I just thought I'd bring that up and like kind of some like similarities between our stories. So how did you go from storytelling to podcasting and yeah how, how did that love transition to this format? Great question. So it started with just trying to find something that I was passionate about. Like I say, tried lots of different things and stuff. Maybe I'd like to try that again in the future. I played the guitar for a little bit. Which are like one of my guitars. I've got a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> my, my partner hates them in the house. So yeah, I'll, I'll send them to Canada. Don't, yeah, don't, don't worry. That's a few comedy gigs to pay for that shipper. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, um, the postage might balance it out. So it's, <laughs> you're getting it for free, essentially. No, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah. And then, and then I watching like the audio industry, but like behind the scenes in tech, did that for a little bit. Really enjoyed it. The thing I enjoyed most about that was like kind of teaching high school level kids 
about about theater and stuff that was probably the best part and then i went back to school for like a media and communications diploma and then that was when i discovered the whole world of kind of podcasting entrepreneurship people like gary v and other people in my local community that that were doing creative things and and then mm-hmm. I started I started the podcast as a class project, you know, I was sick of doing the essays a bit like you, you were saying mm-hmm. earlier and the, the assignment was literally to document yourself talking to someone and then put it into a certain presentation format, I can't quite remember like how now. And I just kept going, did one, two, and then got running with it and kind of learning as I go and now it's like, this is, ep- I think this is episode like 163. And, wow. that's, and, that's, and that's crazy considering two years ago. I didn't know what social media really was, to be honest. I, I didn't use it in a professional manner. Right? And now it's like 8,000 social media followers later and interviewing some yeah. pretty big names that you've seen like, on the, like America's Got Talent, NBC The Voice, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs like Gary Vee and stuff. So some really like big names in their respective industry. It's just, it's just sure. been a, a crazy journey to seeing who you can connect with out in the world. For sure. And uh, yeah, well done to you. Thanks, man. And same to you. So I'm going to have a, a little tea fact because I like to educate people on the great world that is the tea industry. And then we'll uh, j- jump back into this. So Dick's on that British terminology in there. They're going to love it. You know, like, yeah, if you want to say a pirate word as well, that might also go down and treat as well. It, it worked well at the start of the podcast. <laughs> nice. Okay. So green tea isn't always green in color. Well, it's true that some green teas like the Japanese censure can appear bright green after they're brewed. Most green teas are actually meant to look pale yellow when brewed correctly. So don't worry if your tea isn't exactly green, because it just isn't meant to be. And that comes with the uh, slash blog slash five surprising facts about green tea. Oh, I thought you were going to finish off. It wasn't meant to tea. And uh, I thought well, that, that would have been a nice finish. But Mike, would you say you're a tea expert? No. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I would say I, I like drinking tea. Obviously, it's, yeah. as you know, it's, it can be quite ingrained from British culturally. And doing the podcast, I'm, I'm starting to learn about how complex the tea industry is and all the mm-hmm. different types of tea and some of the processes that like make tea. I once had, I've talked about this a, a tiny bit in the past, I once interviewed a Japanese certified tea advisor called... Mm-hmm. Ricardo Hesedo, and he blew my mind. That was like an entire episode talking about the certifications behind processing tea and delivering like tea sample eggs. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. a whole different level. So it, it made me like kind of want to go to Japan and places that produce tea one day to actually learn like not just uh, mm-hmm. call the kettle, stick your milk in, your, your sugar, but actually from the roots and how it grows and the traditional way, I guess, of brewing tea is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, I, that's that is interesting. I would say like the only reason I'm asking because I feel like you're probably more an expert than I I would know. And I've got this running thing with my Twitch channel where I once cut up s- some lemon, put a slice of it in some hot water, and I called that lemon tea. Would you call that lemon tea? I guess be honest. Poor, I guess a very poor attempt to do it. On principle, it's all I need to know. On principle, that's uh, that's enough to get me over the barrier because people have been arguing with me since day one. They've been uh, 
like very vocal attempts to shut me down. But I, I just thought if I had I talked to a self-proclaimed tea expert, which you, you're not <laughs> self-proclaimed, you said no earlier, quite quite emphatically. Uh, I, I I think that's enough uh, to win them over. So I'm gonna take this clip. I'll stick on the on the channel, and they'll have no evidence. What have been some of the arguments? They, they, they're like, oh, this is like lemon water or something? <laughs> yeah, they say it's hot water with lemon, but they are heretics, they are rude, and I would say that they don't know what they're talking about. So thank you for aligning yourself with me. It's going to give you a bad reputation to come, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm going to come join your Twitch channel so I can see some of the comments and, if, yeah. uh, and add Tell my two cents. So. Tell you what, Mike, come come in anytime you want, and we'll start that argument because they they are always ready to, to throw down on my BS. So uh, so yeah, go come and uh, enjoy the whirlwind. Awesome. So which other comedians have kind of inspired you, and what have you kind of learned from them along the journey as you've been breaking into the comedy scene, right? Mm-hmm. I would say it's difficult to say just one comedian, but I would say different comedians influence different parts. I would say. The biggest influence I would probably say was a man called Richard Herring. If you don't know who he is, he's a British stand-up comedian who was part of Leading Herring in the 90s. And uh, you might also know him from Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast or Rutherstipper. And with that, he's a guy who kind of made it work for himself. He also done like Edinburgh Fringe. He was called the Fr King of the Fringe. And what he used to do was a new, quite radically different show every single year at the Fringe. And he also like... This sounds a bit weird, but bear with me. He did a show called Hitler Mustache, where he wore a Hitler Mustache for a year. The idea of it is to see how people viewed him differently and and to try and reclaim the mustache for Charlie Chaplin. It was, it was that was the idea of it, right? And it's a really interesting show because it by having that mustache, it affected his day to day life, and that's a really interesting thing to discuss, right? Like imagine doing something for what is an hour long show, which affects like two to three years of your life. Do you know what I mean? Cause you have to keep it for the previews, which is happened before the fringe, during the fringe, then about a year and a half afterwards when you're touring that, do you know what I mean? So like, it's quite a big chunk of your life, do you know what I mean? And people interact with you very differently at that time. So that that revolutionary idea was really, really important for me. And like those shows were, those hour long shows were important for my upbringing and my, my comedy learning, do you know what I mean? He's, he's a super interesting guy. And I feel like Richard Herring is now getting some of the praise he deserves. But yeah, I, I feel like he's, he's a, such a, influential person in comedy but other than that i would say there's also i have a lot of love for a, a, a comedy group called pappy so which are a sketch team but also podcasters and like it's kind of like where sketch meets stand-up they're very the, the chemistry is fantastic when i went to see him live i learned so much because beforehand i would be scared to do crowd work and this was in my early days but like the I can't explain it, but like seeing a stand up just doing their set in in and out, whatever. But these guys were masters of messing around and they kind of like went on stage. They just had a fun time and they made the audience have a fun time. And that was such a big uh, part of my learning curve because I learned how to kind of to interact with an audience, how to just just goof around. And that was such a big influence on me. I learned how to break free from the strains of nervousness and just kind of go with the flow and if you ever see me live doing stand-up each show is different because of that do you know what I mean they, they kind of allow me just to kind of go on a whim follow a vibe and end up where you end up and uh, yeah each crowd gets something a lot different and I'm not afraid to take the weird road do you know what I mean and yeah I would say that but I would also say this is a the most lame answer but I would say 
all my contemporaries because when I work with my friends I love what they do and I love watching what they do like I really love seeing them create a show or do a preview or doing the end of fringe show I just love my friends I love my friends who I work with and I love it when they succeed you know like I think a lot of people assume people are bitter and people are bitter in comedy but for me it's always a such a delight to see a friend get on tv or have a success or win an award it's always a really positive thing for me and it's always of course it's always nice to have those things for yourself but by and large I love seeing my friends succeed Fantastic. Okay, so you mentioned the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. That it's the largest fringe festival in the world, correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a staple of the fringe uh, scene internationally too. And you actually mm-hmm. performed there in 2019, and you yes. took a show called Here Comes Your Man. And so, do you want to explain to everyone like what the show was about, a little bit about the experience, how it was received, and maybe even like what you learned from the whole creative process and audience reaction and feedback, all those types of things? Yeah. So, Hickens Man was the first show I took as an hour-long debut to Edinburgh. Beforehand, I'd done other shows there, like half an hour shows, and just kind of building up to that. Because an, an hour show for a comedian is there first stamp on the world like they are there kind of saying right i am a comedian this is my thing i'm doing a full run it's, it's quite a big important statement for a comedian so and you kind of win the award for your first show which is important to kind of go go big on it if you know what i mean so um, and i'd written our shows before i'd done a handful of different shows which were really important for me to learn that but here comes your man was something i really wanted to work hard on and what happened at the end of 2017 i basically met oh or maybe at the end of 2018 fringe i kind of fell for someone and the show was written in real time the idea of here comes your man was it's meant to be a show about love and romance and kind of like finding a partner that that and that was a it's a show about but <laughs> quite quickly things broke off so then it was a show about heartbreak uh, and the show was written through kind of the the breakup, the loss of a, uh, of a partner. And, you know, like in Waltzing Bromwich, there's that scene where trains going and they're putting the railroad tracks down at, at the time. And that was literally how I wrote my show because, like, things were happening to me in real time. I had to process really quickly and write funny stuff about them. And quite often, it wasn't that funny because it was too raw. Do you know what I mean? You have to kind of, like, it took a while to kind of to do that. And I previewed it a lot, previewed it hard, and worked really hard to make it. And, like, I'll probably put out a version of this show in the future. There is an audio version because I took it on tour afterwards. But it's um, it was done just before COVID. So it was a little bit, it's not the best audio in the world. So I think I'll probably re-record it in the future. But like, yeah, it's about storytelling. And the idea that things come back around and things loop back, they connect to each other. And that's what life is because like, there's those small moments that kind of surprise you that come back. And that's that's the idea of the show. It's meant to be a cyclical show and it's meant to be an independent show because it's, it's not really about love and romance. It's about becoming your own person. That's that's really what it is. It's like the genesis of who I am today. Yeah, you know I mean, it's kind of having that independence to grow and function and be happy. That's that's what it is. And it, yeah, it's about all those things. Yeah, so I did it in Edinburgh and yeah I was kind of like I think the fantasy always is to make it big but you know the show was really good I I enjoyed it I put a lot of hard work into it and it sold pretty well I sold out a couple of nights which is quite big and and I had a lot of fun with it and I got good reviews got some bad reviews and then uh hey yeah and you know what and they always come on the wrong day (laughs) and stuff like that but also you know what like 
It's a show I'm proud of. I took it on tour. People loved it. And yeah, I, I loved Here Comes Your Man because it's it's a show about a certain time. But I actually met my current and my, my life partner at, like very shortly after the fringe of that awesome. show. So for the, I was touring that show for a while afterwards. Talking about an ex who was like, oh, I am so in love with this person. And my partner would just be sat in the audience being like, yay. <laughs> and, uh, and, so it's, <laughs> and it's difficult to kind of talk about these days. And not, mm-hmm. not difficult, but I've also changed since then as well. Like we've been through a pandemic. I've changed in who I am. I've, um, and I'm currently writing a new show for 2023. I've got two working titles, but we'll call it Blizzard of Hulse for now and the idea of it it's like talking about that metamorphosis that change and kind of like going from like sleeping in my car as a comedian to having a very competitive mortgage price yeah you know i mean that's the kind of the vibe and different change in me and yeah but what i love what i kind of said at the start like each show is like a snapshot of who you are and i think that's for any artist like if you do an album that's a that's who you are in that moment you know and, and i think they're yeah. truly yeah right and i would say the most legendary albums typically are the ones that capture a moment you know it catches that moment in time where people are connected and they get it it's part of them it's part of their understanding like there are many many examples but like i would say something like bruce springsteen's born to run um it catches that mid-70s kind of strife uh, the 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 idea of like trying to make it big and that youth you know what i mean and uh, it's yeah, I think it captures that, and it captures where Bruce was at that moment, and it, for my shows, it catches where you are in that moment, yeah, you know I mean, it, it's about kind of where you are, where you're growing, and I think it's it's good to kind of, it's like a diary of the time. Fantastic, man. It's commendable that you found the confidence or that moment inside you to be like, yeah, this is the truly authentic me, this is what I'm going to put out to the world then. That's commendable mm-hmm. because a lot of people like wouldn't do that, right? So talk to us a little bit about the Eric Baker Award in 2015, <laughs> what the award is, and yeah. what it meant to you to kind of scoop up the press. So what it is, it's so at the University of Kent, I actually, because they saw my progress as a comedian and they were like, this is a commendable work. And so in the third year at university, before I went to do the master's in stand-up comedy, they allowed me to do this. Basically, every year they would pick a comedian who was noteworthy, and it used to be a fourth-year stand-up comedian. But I won the award when I was in my third year because I'd been gigging. I gigged like pretty much five nights a week, and I'd added a lot of comedy to Canterbury. I, I made a cultural impact. And they, uh, awesome. yeah, it was really... Yeah, and, and that man I mentioned earlier, Dr. Oliver Double, handed me the award, and it was such a delight, because it was, a, yeah, I, I never won an award before, and it was the first time I felt like I was a success in the thing that I did, because for the longest time, I was very bad at comedy, and it was not an easy path, do you know what I mean? Like, a, I was not a natural talent, and I think that's fair to say, because, like, you, I worked so hard, and I was bad for a long time and I can't express to you how bad I was for such a long time and but if you have determination to stink that badly and continue to work at it I think that's a pretty good work ethic to have do you know what I mean and don't worry about stinking do you know what I mean it's okay as long as you learn from it do you know what I mean like it's if you do a gig that was terrible or you do a commission that you don't like take it as a learning curve okay, this wasn't good, but I learned this, this, and this from it. Because I went back from most of my gigs and analyzed them. Like, okay, what bits got laughs? What bits didn't get laughs? How do I improve? Do you know what I mean? 
and it's all about confidence as well. So, yeah, the Eric Barker Award was kind of the first kind of step to me saying, you know what, I think I could do this. Nice and great advice for anyone, you know, it's that persistency, that consistency. As long as you're doing it with a smile on your face, you've already won, because even if somebody says something that doesn't have any merit, it is negative, like you're in a great place spiritually and mentally mm -hmm. to, to, to be able to brush it off. And then also, like you were saying, taking the constructive feedback, uh, because you mm -hmm. do need feedback sometimes to improve and figuring out what things you can switch up mm -hmm. and fine tune and stuff. And that's a fine process, right? Yeah, I think you need to have constructive honesty with yourself. And I'm not saying brutal honesty. I'm not saying constructive criticism. I'm saying constructive honesty. Like what bits didn't work? Just don't BS yourself. But the point is that, yeah, it's about kind of like understanding what is it you're trying to achieve? Like what is the purpose of what you're saying for the intended outcome and looking how effective it is. See what I mean? It's about kind of seeing how, how, how it works. See what I mean? So art isn't a industry for half you got to push for it, yeah, I mean, and you, you just got to put the time and effort in and it takes a long time for a little pay and no accommodation for, to get somewhere. And still, I don't think I'm not far in the industry. I wish I could be bigger, but at the same time, I'm kind of, you're going to be happy where you are. I've also got a lovely fan base. I feel like I'm doing pretty well in the things I do. I'm proud of my, proud of my output and yeah, we're going places, but also it's about enjoying the place you're at. Nice. It's all about the host train. I like it. Yeah, the host train, yeah. Choo-choo. <laughs> awesome. So you're also a podcaster, right? With your most yeah. recent podcast being Castavel, in which you invite each guest to pitch their dream music festival lineup. So wh mm -hmm. where did you get this like pretty unique uh, podcast idea from? How has it changed as you've done more episode? Let's start there. So, yeah, Castabalism, again, it was an idea I had about 2018, and the idea was to do live shows and kind of stuff like that. And in 2019, I put together a production plan for to do live shows in 2020. Something happened in 2020. I'm not sure if you'd you be able to buy it, but it, yeah, it kind of meant <laughs> live shows weren't a possibility. So, and it started off with the idea of I've always loved music festivals and I feel that when you ask someone about like, what if you were going to have your perfect dream music festival, it's something I would ask socially quite a lot. If you're going to have your dream music festival, what would it be? Oh, yeah, and sure. it's a, it's a good question, I think, because you're not just saying, oh, I like these three bands. What you're saying is you're kind of giving me a little bit of your history, but in a very unique way. You give me a biography, but why do you like that band? Where did it come from? Have you always liked that? And like there are anecdotes in that. And it feels like you get a very fresh interview with someone and that's what it, you find out about that person you find out where they're coming from but also it's a fun thing it's very silly it's very ridiculous and it's very enjoyable in that way but I love the idea how it can be I think it, it's very funny but also at times it's very introspective and earnest and interesting and I, I love it because in comedy I think I don't always like being laugh 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 I like to have moments of introspection I like to have thoughtfulness I like to kind of investigate stuff do you know what I mean and I, I love that format because I think I'm quite good with a guest in terms of to make them feel warm and to make them feel valued and make them open up about stuff and I'm not looking for like deep dark stuff it's just it's not that kind of podcast but like it's but it's about kind of figuring out who they are and maybe them figuring out who they are and and also grilling them over some of their choices as well so that, <laughs> that kind of thing so. 
That's another most beautiful part, right? Is yeah. learning about it in real time. You're, you're making that connection through that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you found some people that, you, on, that you've had on there that you, that you keep in touch with, some friendships and stuff, maybe even some co- collaborations. This Absolutely. Uh, so with Castable, I the idea of it was to really get top-notch guests. Because like, I have a lot of friends in the industry, people have been on TV and people who've got like a lot of their own series and that kind of stuff. So I wanted to have like legends only. And for that, I wanted to get people who meant the world to me, like people who, you know, like pretty big people on board, if that makes sense. So yeah, I wanted to do that pretty quickly. And so I, I have, I achieved that. There's people, in fact, in, in the last couple of weeks of, recording this actually i recorded an episode with ellis james who was a very famous podcaster dj and presenter and yeah he's someone his podcast kind of like made me find like life worth living yeah you know i mean like him and john robbins both have been guests on you know like those are people who kind of got me into podcasting and they were the people who really yeah, made me laugh and maybe um, part of their family. And they, I never say that to them because uh, it's kind of, it's about having a professional line, but you can allude to that. And I did mention how much their podcast meant to me in a very subtle way. But like what I find really nice, is just things come around full circle. It's worth kind of sticking it out to, because like having those conversations, especially if you're doing it day in, day out, it can get a little, sometimes it feels repetitive. It feels like sometimes mm-hmm. you're going through the motions. The, the key of it is trying to find freshness wherever you go, if you know what I mean. Try to find the more innovative things about it and try to, and it's about your job as an interviewer to find, dig, dig a little deeper. And as you mentioned, kind of connect those dots a little bit, being like, oh, do you like this because of this? And I'm actually trained to be a counselor at the moment. So it's about, as in like a mental health counselor rather than a city counselor. What I mean is, that I think it lends itself to more, that more like learning how things connect together and kind of reflecting that in a way that shows them that things I may not have considered. And I like those moments where they go, oh, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm, it's not always right, but it's always interesting. And that's what I love about podcasting too. And that's why on the Tea with Mike show too, uh, we're always looking for the why. Why do you think this? Just like your example of Okay, I, I, in my lineup, I've got Ed Sheeran, this and this, but, but why Ed Sheeran? What is it that you like about it? It's those, like, it's going beyond the the generic questions, like, how is the weather and stuff, and asking questions that shows that you're interested in what the other person's saying, right, versus just having a, a conversation for the, for the sake of having a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's meant to be enjoyable it's meant to it's very funny but it's also meant to have depth as well and i I think that's my forte to a degree it's probably where your analytical side helps you like to to it's like developing those deeper lying like questions right yeah absolutely instead of like self-analysis i can learn to kind of look at other people listen to them and kind of understand them in ways that they might not understand themselves Awesome. Okay, so if you were a guest on your own podcast, Castable, what oh. would your dream music festival lineup be and, and why? I've, I've been waiting about three years to answer this question. Thank you. No one's ever asked me, but I think it's such a, oh, it's such a cool, oh. I, I really, I think about this quite a lot. And the reason why I do a podcast about it is so someone would ask me in the future, but like, uh, it's so difficult. And the whole point of Castle is like, you can't fit everything into it. You know what I mean? Like some people try to, and they're very long edits, but like the whole 
point of it is that you can't have everything, you're going to miss stuff out. But if I had to choose three headliners, I would probably pick my favorite artist of all time is a guy called Jeff Rosenstock. He's a punk musician. Probably have him headlining Friday. That'd be really cool. Oh, I would love original lineup Beatles and then maybe original lineup Queen would be pretty sick. That's a big old festival. Yeah, with lots of other people as well. But like, yeah, I, why do you have to ask me at the right at the end of recording? Because I, I have so much, like, what this is like, like, I'm, oh, I'm, like, I'm like a sniffer dog. And I just found a luggage full of like, you know, like <laughs> cocaine. Yeah, you know I mean, like, it's, it, this is like, this is too much, it's too overwhelming for me. I get so flustered when people like <laughs> ask me about music. It's like, there's so many to choose from. Uh, but actually, no, I've maybe swap out Jeff Rosenstock for Bruce Springsteen because Bruce Springsteen is a like a, a very important. But I also like Metallica as well. But Metallica, I've seen a lot. Bruce Springsteen is. So Bruce Springsteen, Beatles and Queen. They are very classic rock vibes. But like, I think I'd put a lot of freshness in the in the earliest day. Like Meet Me at the Altar and some, yeah, some other cool stuff. Maybe some Beastie Boys too. Nice. So Queen and Adam Lambert actually came to Canada before the pandemic. And so we, we went to see them and we had, we, we had floor tickets. And it was an amazing concert. And you know it was an amazing concert when at the end of the evening, no joke, there was barely any litter on the floor and like beer cans and stuff just because of the yeah. types of people that would go into the concert and everyone was just like mesmerized by the show, right? It was a very different experience to your standard concert where the floor looks like a, a landfill by the end, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And good people. No litter. Thank you. Yes. No, that was awesome, man. So in your bio, I alluded to it roughly at the start. I believe that you set up the Richmond Shire Comedy Club, obviously near your hometown, Richmond, North Yorkshire, which featured artists such as The Last Voice Guy. So can you tell me a little bit more about this? Maybe a little, quickly how it came about. Is it still going? If, if it is still going, what are the future goals of this particular yeah. project? We, uh, we haven't done one for a while because of uh, personal reasons, but uh, yeah, but yeah, it's uh, something I really loved. It's a comedy club in my hometown, and yeah, I just wanted to give a little bit more back to the comedy scene and start doing it more regularly. But I found it, found it so difficult to kind of find time to do everything, and it was the first thing for me to kind of drop, uh, I'm afraid. So it will, will be back soon, but I just need some some support doing it, if you know what I mean. It's just as we alluded to the whole podcast. I am someone who used to do everything myself, but I'm just getting to the point where I'm too busy to do everything myself. Yeah, the will is there, but the time isn't, unfortunately. I'm very proud of it. We sold out that night, felt very good about it. And yeah, looking forward to some more shows soon. Awesome. And so obviously you, you said time is not your friend and you're so busy, but what do you do to look after your physical and mental well-being on kind of a daily basis? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I like to watch some shit TV every now and then. I, I like to spend time with a partner, like play a lot of board games with her. We have a joint board games love and yeah, we really love doing stuff like that. That's a nice way for me to unwind. It's a good question because I think self-care for me has always been quite difficult. I've been learning to sleep a lot more. And again, at the start, we talked about like, I always feel a bit guilty about doing that and getting an like, eight hours sleep. But you got to or else you're going to feel so broken. So uh, yeah, sleep um and going for like short walks i used to do a lot more running but again i ran out of time really but yeah i think it's about kind of doing those bits and pieces just also taking a break i, I like to mm. just I, I work less hard these days it's about just enjoying the process rather than forcing yourself through it because at the moment at the point of recording i'm rec editing castable at the moment which is a season five it's just out 
but beforehand i was doing like 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 two episodes a week like in terms of editing i had like really tight deadlines and i was working on uh, publishing a book and stuff like that and uh, it was too much and i just didn't enjoy it do you know what i mean but i've took like a year out and i've come back to it and it's a lot more enjoyable now and i get to enjoy editing um and it's a it is a painful process but yeah it's about kind of doing things in moderation it's that obvious thing but just uh, doing stuff and making it still fun if it's not fun stop it yeah you know i mean like it's as simple as that really yeah balance and getting fulfillment from the things that you do fantastic and then quickly what's next for you both personally and professionally so i'm going to uni in september to start my counseling degree i'm going to become a counselor after two years and the idea is to become the world's first comedy counselor so uh, have a cry with me and then come i'll make you laugh yeah you know i mean that kind of thing so, the idea is to do work, counseling and comedy and Twitch and podcasting all in the same umbrella. And yeah, just start yeah, working on that kind of thing. Awesome. And you've already mentioned several great pieces of advice throughout this episode. But what's one piece of advice that you would like to give to someone kind of listening based off your own story and your own experiences? I've said some fantastic stuff. What I would say is figure out who you are. Because I think that it's called congruence, right? So congruence is the idea of openly understanding and being yourself. And that's not something you can do easily, right? And it's something that I think people struggle with at school. And because, like, you don't want to be yourself. You just want to be normal. You want to be hidden. And it's easier to be normal because then you don't get picked on. But being yourself is the most powerful thing you can be. And that sounds like really tosh thing to say. But what it is, it's like... If you can figure out who you are and why you like that and what you'd love the earliest possible, that's such a strength. That is know you know your self-worth, know your strengths, and know where you want to go. You know, have that ambition and don't be afraid to chase it, you know, and you will make mistakes, but just be yourself, you know, like and I think that's advice that's given too much, but I, I mean it in a way which is just like figure out who you are for better or for worse what makes you happy what the things that are you an introvert are you an extrovert how do you recharge and and what do you like to do you know and if your answer to those things is i don't know well figure it out do something (laughs) go do do a hobby that you've never tried before go and explore do go and find stuff and don't if you don't like one thing at a certain time that's fine but don't be afraid to try it later on. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause you change, you know what I mean? Like, are you saying that when you're 38, you still don't like the things that you were when you were 18? That's 20 years of difference. You know what I mean? Like, don't be slow to reevaluate, reflect and understand. And yeah, I guarantee that you'll be more aware and more happy the outcome. And just quickly before we wrap it up, there's a potential a future show idea there called Figure It Out. Yeah, figure it out, you. Something. Like, yeah, like, it's gonna swear, time. but yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think you should figure it out. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just uh, it's always good to figure out what you like, and because like that's how you uh, blow off steam. You know, don't be afraid to try it. Why not? Exactly. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on the Tea with Mike show today. I hope you had fun. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on. I'm I'm off to have another cup of tea now. Thank you. Awesome, everyone. So uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the Tea with Mike show with Matt Haas. Big shout out to anyone that might be listening to this. And I hope they are going to be listening to this in Richmond, North Yorkshire, uh, Richmond School. And 
everyone else that's hopefully going to be listening around the world. And um, you can find the Tea with Mike show on teawithmike.com and on all other major podcasting platforms. And make sure you check out other great stories from people all over the world on all of those places. Well, Matt, thank you very much. It's the Tea with Mike show.